each of you in Christ this morning. Glad we can be here and certainly been blessed already being in the presence of God together. I'd like to take your thoughts this morning for a message to James chapter 4. We're going to begin with this scripture and notice some of the applications from this passage. The um, thought that we'd like to look at is in verse 7. James chapter 4 and verse 7. been thinking about this probably for a few weeks already, this thought where it says, second part of the sentence, or the second sentence, says resist the devil. Resist the devil. And I was thinking about how this applies practically in our lives and the importance of it, and the, the context of this scripture. I'd like to um, just read this down from verse 1 down to verse 12, and notice the context here. James chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that it dwelleth in us? Lusteth to envy, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother, and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law, and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judges another? Now, just thinking of this passage... First of all, where he says in verse 7 that we are called to resist the devil. Now, I would like this message this morning to be positive and to be practical because we recognize that each of us live in Satan's territory. Revelation 12, he was cast out into the earth. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, for the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. That's the, the situation in which we live today. And we can see the wrath of the dragon all around us in the world, in society, the happenings of the world. And I think that's going to increase as we understand and experience the last days, the end times. Now, First John 5 and verse 19 also says there that the whole world lieth in wickedness. And the original language that would mean, or if you translate it literally, would be 
that the whole world lieth in the lap of the wicked one. Ephesians 2, verse 2, Wherein time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, is in the midst of that in which we as, as children of God today are called to live and to persevere and to let our light shine, to be that Christ example like we talked about in our Sunday school lesson. But there's also this aspect of making this practical. And I guess that's the burden on my heart this morning, that we know practically how to do this, to resist the devil. Is this sort of a hit and miss situation where you kind of just do the best you can and hope that somehow we don't, you don't fall into a, a temptation that we cannot handle or that we, we fail? But this is, this is positive. In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, there Paul writes and says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And that is said in the context of forgiveness. So that is interesting. And so this morning, we do not want to be ignorant of his devices. We want to understand what it means here when the scripture says that we are to resist the devil. And how do we practically do that in our lives? And are we doing that in our lives today? Now, I'd like to think a little bit about the context here. This verse is both a command and a promise. Notice it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How many of you have found that in your life? And I, I know we have. Where in the midst of temptation, in the midst of a struggle... We purpose in our heart through the power of God, through the the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within, to resist that. And then the temptation lessens, it, 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 it diminishes. And so that is an important part, it is a command and a promise. Now, a few things to remember in relation to the work of the devil, the work of Satan in our lives, in the world around us. And we looked at a few of these things a little over a year ago in another message. But I'd like to just refresh our memory on this. Remember that the devil is not omnipresent. The devil is not omnipresent. We have that in the book of Job, which we looked at recently in our Sunday school lessons. But when uh, when Satan appeared in the presence of God there in chapter 1 in the book of Job, God asked him where where he was. And he said, well, he came from walking to and fro, walking up and down in the earth, walking to and fro in the earth. That is interesting. That's just an expression of the fact that he was, or that he is not on the present. In other words, he cannot be everywhere at once. First Peter 5 and verses 8 and 9 would confirm that. When it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. In other words, he's looking, he's, he's like a lion pacing in the cage, looking for an opening, looking for prey, looking for the next victim. That's how we have that pictured in relation to Satan as our adversary. Now, verse 9 there of 2nd, or 1st Peter 5, says, Whom resist 
steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Have you ever felt very alone in temptation? Very alone in a struggle against sin or the devil? He says, just resist them. Because your brethren and sisters everywhere across the world are in that same battle. And there's really nothing new in that struggle. But the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Another thing to remember about Satan is that he is not omniscient. In other words, he doesn't know everything. He does not have infinite knowledge. Excuse me. And that is important when you think about resisting the devil. You go back again to the book of Job. Satan did not re- understand Job's thoughts or his heart. And the devil made some, Satan there made some very wrong assumptions because he did not know the thoughts or the heart really of Job. Two revealing statements there, verses, verse 9 of chapter 1, where Job, um, where Satan said of Job to God, he said, Doth Job serve God for naught? In other words, what he was saying is, Is Job just serving you, or Job is not serving you for nothing? And in other words, he was saying, it, He is doing what you want him to do because. You are blessing him. He's not serving you for nothing. You blessed him tremendously. And again, it was a wrong assumption on the part of the devil. He did not really understand Job's heart because the devil is not omniscient. He doesn't, he cannot read our thoughts, I do not believe. He doesn't really know what makes us tick or what makes us do what we do. And he made that wrong assumption of Job. He thought that he'd take away all those blessings that God had given to Job, and he would. He said he'll he'll curse you to your face. Well, that wasn't true. And the other one is in chapter two and verse four there of Job, where the the Satan made another wrong assumption. He said the second time he came back, and God said, "Okay, this time you can touch his body. Just don't take his life." And in that conversation, there Satan made the assumption that all that a man hath will he give for his life. In other words, you make it miserable enough, you make him sick enough, you make him um, suffer enough, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll change his tune. Yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Wrong assumption. Again, the devil did not understand the thinking of a, of a righteous man. It may be true of the unbeliever who will give everything for his life, but it's not true of the child of God because a true child of God would never give up, give up his faith even though it's tested. And so again, it shows that Satan did not understand the thoughts of Job's mind and heart. Another scripture, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 7 and 8 there, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory Now notice this, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. When Satan thought he was engineering 
the whole thing of the trial the, the, and the crucifixion of Christ, when, when he thought that, that he was going to somehow win in that struggle, and, and the Son of God was going to die on that cross, what he didn't realize was it was his own death blow. It was, the, it was the very thing that was going to destroy him. And that's why it says, thank you. That's why it says that if they had known, if the prince of this world had known, if the devil had understood what God was doing, that God kind of sprang the trap on him and took him in his own devices. If, they had, if the devil had known it, he wouldn't have crucified him. It tells us again, he's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. He is limited in his knowledge as it relates to the work of God and also with us as a child of God. Now, the idea of resist that we have here in James chapter 4, this idea of, of resist is not the same as rebuking the devil. And maybe this is a little bit of a play of words, but I'd like to explain this a little bit. To resist the devil in the original language here in the Greek would be exactly, pretty well exactly the way we would say it with the word English word resist. To stand against, to oppose, to hold back, resist. We need to remember that we are no match for the devil in any kind of human form or strength. And I know there are people that talk about, you know, rebuking the devil. And maybe, again, that depending how you use that word, maybe they actually, or we would actually mean more resist. But I think we need to be careful in this. And remember that it's only through the power of Christ that we can re- resist the devil. And just a, a few thoughts on that. To remember that we are no match for the, the devil of, in any kind of human strength means that we must rely on the divine strength of God. It must be our own. If we're not a born-again child of God, we don't have the power to resist the devil. You can stand up and you know refuse to do things that are wrong for a time, but sooner or later you're going to fall into sin. Because we're still the servant of sin before we are born again. And have the Spirit of Christ move within us and strengthen us and empower us. It's like Romans 7. Paul said, I tried and tried. In my own words, the more I tried, the worse it got. You know, I try to do good. But then sin would come along and take me down again. And, and you and I remember that. When we're still the servants of sin, we tried hard. I tried hard to be, to be good, to do what was right, but I'd fall back again. It just didn't last. Because the nature was wrong. There was that sin nature that was controlling me. Until the Spirit of God moves in, you have that power then to resist. And to resist sin, to resist temptation, and power to resist the devil. Now, <coughs> excuse me. You remember the story in the book of Acts, Acts 19 and verse 14. It's an interesting little story there. It says about the seven sons of Siva. He was a vagabond Jew. We don't know much about him. But he had seven sons which were exorcists. And these, these young fellows decided, well, I guess young, seven sons. Anyway, these men decided that they were going to 
cast out an evil spirit. They had seen Paul do it, so they thought they would try it too. And But they weren't of the same spirit as Paul. They were not converted men. They thought they would try to do this, cast out this evil spirit, and they would do it through the name of Jesus whom Paul preached. And so they approached this evil spirit to cast them out, and they told this evil spirit that we're going to cast you out in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. They were trying to borrow spiritual power from some other source that was not within not their own. You remember what happened? The evil spirit said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the evil spirit jumped on them, beat them up. They ran out of the house, naked and wounded. Just just a little glimpse in that little story there of dealing with with the demonic world without having the spiritual power in your life to do it. That's why I say resisting the devil has to begin with that relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit within. It's also interesting in the book of Jude, and we don't know much about this story at all. I have no idea what it all means. But Michael, the archangel, was in an argument with the devil about the body of Moses. And again, yeah, it's just a lot of things there we don't understand. I think it probably means that the, the devil wanted the body of Moses for something, maybe to make a sacrilege out of it, or you know, a hero or monument over his grave. Because you know that God, it says that God buried Moses in an unknown place. God buried him himself. Nobody else knew. I don't think the devil knew either. I think God kept that from the devil. Anyway, for whatever that all is involved, Michael the archangel got into an argument with the devil about the body of Moses. That's what We do know that. And even Michael the archangel did not directly rebuke the devil, which at one time probably would have been his peer. In eternity past, before Lucifer fell, they would have shared the same, much the same status probably in the throne room of heaven. And even though it was the devil disputing about the body of Moses, Jude writes there, he makes it very clear that Michael the archangel did not rebuke him himself. He said, the Lord, the Lord rebuked thee. So that tells us something. Not only respect, but I believe also the fact that we need to be careful in dealing with demonic power. It is only through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, through the triune Godhead, that any of us have the power to resist the devil and and to uh, understand this. It's only through the power of God that we can overcome. Now, a few thoughts How can we resist the devil for victory in our lives? More the practical part of this. How do you resist the devil? How do I resist the devil? I think it's something that we can encourage each other in. 
in how we handle situations, what we do. First of all, Job is pictured there in the book of Job with a hedge about him, and the devil is only allowed to go so far. As a Christian, I believe that you and I have the God's protection around us. God only allows us to endure what he knows we can handle. There would be scriptures that would, would show that. No temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. We know that scripture. And so there is the sense of that hedge. Now, also, since the devil is not omniscient, in other words, doesn't know everything, even what we're thinking, I, and uh, I do not believe the devil can, can read our thoughts, but what the devil does do is he watches what we say and what we do. He watches what we say and what we do. And I know this is probably a... It's not a very good illustration. It's not a biblical illustration. But I'm, I'm going to just explain it this way. You understand a little bit of how social media works, how social media companies work. And you may... You may... Um, research something. Uh, I looked online recently to try to figure out what I could do for my, the rusty fenders on my pickup box. You can buy these, you know, the inserts that you weld in there and replace those. So I was looking at those. And you know how many times since that those ads have popped up showing me these fender fixes for my pickup. Yeah, it's annoying, it's disgusting, but I, I thought of this in relation to the devil. You know, he watches what you do and what you say. And that's how he knows what to bring to your attention. You know, it's like, oh, there it is, you know, and there it is. And so he doesn't have to read our thoughts to form temptations for us. But he watches what we do and listens to what we say. He was watching Job. Remember, he made some wrong assumptions about Job, but he sure tried hard on the basis of his wrong assumptions to trip Job up, which he wasn't able to do. So by watching and listening to us, he can design temptations and strangleholds to try to bring us down. So now, how do, do we resist the devil? Facing spiritual battles victoriously I believe always begins with obedience to God, simple obedience to God. Back to James chapter 4, verse 7. What's he say first? Before he says, resist the devil, he will flee from you. He says, first of all, submit yourselves therefore to God. That's, that's where it all begins. If we are not living in a sincere obedience, does it mean we have to be perfect Christians? Are we going to fail sometimes? Yes. The devil sees us fail. He hears us fail. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But, but what do we do about it? We just leave it go and allow it to harden our hearts? Or do we realize that, you know, from a conscious perspective, I have failed? Does the devil ever hear you, hear me repent? Does the devil ever hear us ask God for forgiveness? You see, he listens, and he watches. And so 
submission to God is really the premise facing this challenge of resisting the devil. Living a self-centered life will always bring spiritual defeat because that self-centeredness is at the core of human pride and arrogance against God. And the right, with that, humility is, is also necessary for, for victory. And we have that in this passage as well. Verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. 1 Peter 5, 5 there says, And be clothed with humility. Be clothed with, with humility. Does the devil ever hear you or I repent of pride? We can resist the devil by choosing our words carefully. I think that is important. Jesus said every idle word that a man shall speak, he's going to give a counter of in the day of judgment. Not only are we accountable to God, but think of it this way. The devil is listening to our words. And that's why in, in, in relation to temptation, and it's so powerful there in Matthew 4, where Jesus was there in the temptations in the wilderness, he just kept quoting scripture. Now I think it's one of the, one of the more powerful tools that we have in our toolbox as a Christian to resist the devil. The power of Scripture. The devil will twist the Scripture, like he did with Eve, endeavor to do that, but we must be, must be good with the Scriptures and use the power of the Scriptures. Jesus used those in, in his temptations. And that's why it is so important that you and I know the Scriptures, study the Scriptures, and memorize the Scriptures. Now, Jesus knew all the Scriptures because he was the living word, he wrote them all, as, as it were. But that's not true of us. And so the me- memorizing the, the word, memorizing the scriptures, is, is so important in relation to resisting the devil. That those verses are there in our minds, and when something comes up, it's like, bam, there it is. It's a scripture, word of God. This is what it says. This is why I can't do this. This is why I do do this. Remember Joseph there in Egypt? What was his response when that temptation was in front of him? He said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He didn't have all the scriptures that we have, but he understood something about the the fear of God and and the purpose of God for his life. But he, he had that clear, and we must also. It's part of our resisting the devil in our lives. We must cultivate skillfulness in the use of scripture. We must have it in our minds because you read it often, we study it, we memorize it, and then also we become skillful in using it. Remember the devil is also, you could say, skillful, in quotes, in using scripture, but it's all, it's twisted. And many people today that, you know, in, in, in like we're talking about in the Sunday school lesson, sort of that religious world of of superficial Christianity, you know, and take the scriptures and twist it. But we need to be skillful. 
Hebrews 5, 12 to 14, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of a full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to, to discern both good and evil. You and I need to be skillful in the word because we know it and we understand it. We can apply it. Another part of this resisting the devil is praying in the name of Jesus. And employing the power of prayer is, again, a tremendous tool that we have in resisting the onslaughts of temptation and the devil in our lives. And I'm talking about temptation. I'm just giving that in the broad sense. In any kind of... Um, Temptation to speak wrong, use wrong words. Temptation to slander someone. Temptation to, um, to in relation to moral, any kind of moral sin or, you know, just whatever it is. Whatever we are tempted with to do wrong. That, that's what we're talking about. And we can, in that time of temptation, we can employ the power of prayer. Now, remember that the devil cannot read our thoughts, and so what are you going to do? We can, we can pray in our minds uh, silently. There's certainly a place for that. But I believe, very practically speaking now, that there is power in verbal prayer, in the presence of temptation. Whatever we're doing, sisters around the house, housework, when your, your mind starts going in the wrong direction, what do we do? Brethren, you know, when we're working, you know, many of you drive or run equipment or whatever we're doing, and our mind starts going in a wrong direction, what are we going to do? We can pray, but let's pray aloud. Let's pray that the devil hears us pray. That's what I'm trying to say. That's resisting the devil. Remember, he's listening and he's watching. So he's going to know whether we're sincere in that or not. And I think that that is, it's one of the, again, one of the powerful tools. Remember that the demonic spirits during Christ's ministry were always recognized and were afraid of him. What does Philippians say? That the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And so there's times, of course, appropriate, but to pray aloud in the name of Jesus for spiritual victory and spiritual power in the time of temptation. It, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful tool. Another is singing. Is, again, is also right with that, another way in which we can push back the forces of darkness. We can resist the devil when our mind is going in a wrong direction, our thoughts are wandering in a, in a wrong way. We can, you know, whether it's into discouragement or pride or whatever it is, and we, we feel that, we sense that, because our conscience is sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit within, and we feel that. We, we understand that the devil is trying to take me down this course in my thoughts. Sing. You can listen, listen to singing, and that, that can be good. But even to sing, we talked about uh, in the devotional this morning, Paul and Silas, there in the prison in Philippi, do you think that their singing affected their thoughts 
I suspect that when Dale was talking about this this morning, I was thinking about it's almost like the, the darkness in the prison kind of got pushed back. And all the prisoners in that prison could hear them singing. It was, a, it was a tool. It was pushing back the forces of darkness, as it were. Was that part of the earthquake coming and the answer to prayer? Interesting to think about that. Maybe the jailer heard them singing, too. It was, it was a tool that was used to push back the forces of darkness in their lives. Also, another part of resisting the devil is we need to remove ourselves from situations of temptation. And this is important because we can increase or decrease temptation depending on our response to situations. We've all been there. You understand what I'm talking about. Because if we start to give in and say, well, I'll just, I can handle a little bit of this or I can, I can just do a little bit of this and then I'm going to stop. Does it work? The minute you think that, you're going into spiritual defeat. The minute we, we, start, we start negotiating with the devil, you, know, you lose it. I mean, it's very seldom you can stop that course of, of lust or whatever it is and say, I'm only going to go so far. What did Joseph do in the midst of his temptation? We talked about him before. He left his coat and fled. There's times we just need to get ourselves out of situations. Period. Because if we don't, we will increase that temptation. And where we know temptation is lurking because the devil has watched us and he has heard us and so he, he'll arrange another situation and another situation and, and to try to see if he can, can get us again. And that's where we have to avoid some situations and just not go there because of what it will, of the temptation that it will cause. You, you know what the term is, playing with sin. That's why Proverbs says, how can a man take fire into his bosom and its clothes not be burned? But you know, sometimes we, we think we can handle this. We think we can, oh, we can go to this point and then I can say, oh, no, I'll stop it there. Once you start negotiating with the devil, he wins. Romans 13, 14 says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. There's times that you and I fail in the midst of temptation because we have provided some provision for the flesh. We somehow justified something. I can feel hurt because of this or that. I could, you know, I can feel depressed because of this or that. I can feel justified in, you know, saying some nasty things to somebody because of what they did to me. And you could go, you know, down the list of justifying whatever. But all that is is making provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. We're actually providing a way for us to lose in that battle. And so that this morning we can resist. We need to control our emotion Ephesians 4, 26 to 32 there. Maybe just, I'll just turn back and, and read that. 
4.26, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. He's talking about anger, which all of us have a dose of that. Um, one way or the other. We know what anger is. But it's interesting, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Oh, that's said in the context of being angry. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good. Then drop down to verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Isn't it interesting, in relation to controlling our emotions, to be angry but not sin? So anger is an emotion. Something happens, we see something, and there's a feeling of emotion of anger that wells up inside. God has given us those, those emotions, as and anger is one of them. But what he is saying here is that you may not be able to help that feeling of emotion, the emotion of anger rise up in your heart. But be careful what you do with it. Don't sin with it. Don't allow it to cause you to sin. And don't let it last very long. It better be over by the, before the sun goes down. Remember, the devil can't read our thoughts. So he's not going to know you're angry unless you act on it. Right? He's not going to know you're angry unless he hears the words you say that are angry or sees the actions that you do. You know, you slam the door. The devil says, oh, I think he's angry. We say something, a few words that are a little nasty. The devil says, oh, he's angry. So he'll try to get a little more in there. See if you can get us a little more angry. Get us to do a few more wrong things. Say a few more bad words. Say a few, you know, kick something or whatever. You know, get, you know, get, just get that going. That's how the devil feeds that. If you have that emotion of anger, don't sin with it. Don't let the sun go down. Get it over with. And neither give place to the devil. Expressions of anger give place to, to the devil. Now, <clears throat> have we failed? Yes. I have failed in that. You have failed with that. Now, what are, you, now what are we going to do about it? Just assume that it all goes away and everybody feels better after a bit and we're all end of story. We talked about this a little bit before. Remember, the devil listens to our words. We talk, this, that scripture talked about bitterness and evil speaking. But what the important thing is here, if we're going to keep resisting the devil, the devil should also hear us find forgiveness with God. That can be an audible prayer, too, that we have failed. And we plead the mercy of God and forgiveness of God. And it's good, then, for the devil also to hear us apologize to somebody else, maybe, that we've wronged. Or we, we reacted wrongly to the, the devil can hear us apologize too. And what does that do for our conscience? It sharpens it. 
And it pushes the devil back because he knows that he can't get a foothold now because we have repented of that sin. We have repented of that anger and whatever our wrong reaction was. And we can renew that relationship with God, but it also pushes the, the forces of darkness back. And then on the positive side, the devil can listens to those words of kindness and tenderness and forgiveness towards each other. And that gives spiritual strength. Again, it, it, it's resisting the devil. It's pushing it back. We may struggle in our hearts with situations. And I'm not saying there's never a time to talk to some other a brother or sister about our struggles. But be careful how you do it. If it's with malice and anger and evil speaking and all those things like that scripture talked about, it's probably going to make our problem worse. You know, the old... I shouldn't say it's old. It's probably new. I just remember back, probably in the 70s, 60s and 70s especially, you know, there was the Dr. Spock who wrote this child training book. It was purely humanistic. And that's where a lot of this that started, right up through till today's world. And that is when somebody gets angry or a child gets angry, the idea was just let them express that anger and get it out of them. That's how you get rid of, you know, a child being angry. Just let them express it and get it out of their system. So some of the fellows that work in a very frustrated, irritating situation, they'll say, well, if you just would swear once and get it out of your system, then you could be okay. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. The devil is listening. I mean, it'd be wrong to do it because of God, you know, and because of, of uh, swearing is wrong. Jesus said that very clearly. But the other thing is that the devil's listening. And so we, be careful with that, you know, that, that we don't give the devil an opening. Do you ever give place to the devil? We are to resist him. James 4.11 Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother, speaketh evil of the law. We looked at that verse before. And also the one in Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. You know, in, in church life, in congregational life, in, in brotherhood, this is one thing as brothers and sisters, you know, we, we need to be careful with. And I believe we are careful with it. I, I appreciate you know, the sensitivity in our brotherhood. But it's something we need, we need to be careful with and watch and protect. You know, that, that thing of, of our words being useful for edifying and ministering grace to the hearers. And of course, where Jesus said, every idle word, every idle word that a man shall speak, he will give account thereof in the day of judgment. That, of course, is also part of this. Now, in closing, just a few thoughts. What is the promise here? It says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Will he give up? No, as long as we're in this life, there's going to be a spiritual battle. And sometimes we say, well, that feels discouraging. You're going to have to fight this thing all the way to the bitter end. Yes. But you know, the promise is the power of God. And... And what God has promised us, 
you know, he will flee from you in the sense that, no, he will not give up. He'll probably come back. We know he will. But in the midst of temptation, by resisting the devil, like in the areas we talked about this morning, there's probably more that you thought of. It means that the intensity of temptation can be greatly reduced. It doesn't mean it's going to go away. But we can, we can be spiritually strong. And to the point where, you know, or Paul says there in Ephesians, that who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can any of this separate us from the love of Christ? No. We have the spiritual strength, brothers and sisters, to stand strong. We don't need to give in to temptation. You know, when the temptations come, you know, and almost feels overwhelming, we have all these tools, spiritual tools that God has given us to overcome. We do not need to fail. We do not need to let our guards down. And to finally give up and say, well, what's the use? I can't make it anyway. No, we just keep on going. We just keep finding the forgiveness and the strength of God to keep right on moving. It is interesting there in Matthew four eleven, after the three temptations of Christ in the wilderness there, it says, then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Would God do the same for us? Yes. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation? We have ministering spirits too that help us and strengthen us, even though the forces of darkness and the demonic uh, entities that the devil uses are all around us. Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And I, I just thought of this was significant in what we talked about this morning. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. In other words, they had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Their sins were washed away. They were born again. And then it says, and by the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony. What they said is how they overcame him. What is the word of our testimony? That's important in overcoming. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Spiritual victory over the power of temptation and over the power of sin this morning is within reach of every child of God. It's like the saying sometimes that we've heard over the years. Even the weakest saint on his knees has the power to overcome the forces of darkness. Because it's the power of God that worketh in us. It's God working to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's his power within. And like we looked at it in our Sunday school lesson this morning, Jesus said even the gates of hell is never going to prevail against the church. And so you and I have that blessed privilege of being a part of the people of God here and experiencing the blessing and strength that gives to us and so this morning, may we commit ourselves again to, the, to, to use the power of Christ available to us. Luke ten seventeen. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. 1 John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, 